Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, a ton of amazing responses from our lady listeners. Our first ever visit to Father Bellelli Sunday School. A disturbing appearance of the My Little Ponies on the show. Living with the curse of being too handsome to love. Religious use of marijuana. The Sikhs of Punjab, India show us all the way with the insane notion of treating everyone equally. And won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Hey, if it wasn't eclectic, it wouldn't be us. And now, asking you all to spread the word that corporations are not people, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, Daniele Bulali, the savage philosopher, the middle finger of the gods. Bury your treasure, put your kids to bed, and most importantly, hide your women. The Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 40 of the Drunken Taoist podcast and without any further ado my partner in crime daniele Bellelli. yeah 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 let's get rolling because this is a long one or i think it is at least i haven't taken an eye on the clock but we're now recording the episode we're now recording intro and outros and let's get rolling so we had a bit of an adventure about two weeks ago and without question we must thank albert the king of the float clinic for floating us out down in torrents maybe the best two hours i've had Naked in a in a bar of a, in a in a puddle of salty water in a long time, it was fantastic. Everybody, I I know I was thinking altered states the whole way. I was excited for a week when I found out about this, and we went running down there, and it could not been a better experience, man. They got it figured out. It works like a charm. The sensory deprivation is incredible. The water is the temperature of your body. You are cut out on sound. It's dark as pitch. You don't see anything, and you just float away. Not even gravity holding you down, man. Twelve hundred pounds of salt and i think it i think the epsom salts actually made my uh made my the crick in my back straighten out too when we got out as well so it was a fantastic experience and i had a blast what did you think no i loved it too albert is today our um silent guest at some point in the future we're gonna strap him to a chair put a microphone in front of him and actually talk about these things but uh yeah man it was great he uh, invited us over we went to have this uh, after hours float experience down in Torrance. So those of you guys who are in LA, you want to try, you've heard it on the, from Rogan, you've heard it from Aubrey Marcus, you've heard it from so many of us talking about um, sensorial deprivation as in float clinic. Moral of the story, those of you guys have even a remote interest in floating or you don't know what it is or just look it up, check what's going on. And uh, if you swim by Torrance, Float Clinic, way to go. was a great experience. We had a blast in there. I started, I got in, and the second I put my feet in, I was just laughing my ass off. I was like flipping like a dolphin. I had a blast. So some people are just very quiet and meditative. I was in a playful dolphin-like mode, so I was just doing strange things in there. But I had a, a really, really good time. We're going to talk more in depth about it in the future when we trap Albert again and strap the microphone to him. As far as things that we want to bring up right now, a big thank you to our sponsor, Onnit, O-N-N-I-T. 
check out like everything else on it that's usara and short design so from supplements workout equipment you know on it as in human optimization as they say there's so much good stuff there i keep discovering new things that i haven't tried yet and suddenly i try them and i love them i've been now for a couple of months on this crazy hemp protein thing that i'm loving uh, but there again, there's so much stuff that on it has that I really, really like. Yeah, I find the Alpha Brain fantastic for when you gotta push the late out hours to get an edit done or something like that. It's a good friend to have. I it doesn't get you jittery or anything like that, but it really does feel like you have a nice boost, shall we say. I need to experiment there. I know it's their main thing, and I haven't checked that out as much, so I need to check Alpha Brain. But some of the other stuff I tried, I loved it. Datsusara, greatest hemp gear on the planet, bags, ghee. By the way, there's so many companies. Our good friend Chris O'Dell has been quite pissed off because apparently several companies are claiming to be hemp gear and they are not, and they make it with nasty materials. So this is hemp that's actually hemp, believe it or not. So again, if you are interested, check it out. Ensure design for some of the most amazing t-shirts in the universe. He has a whole new line of t-shirts based on weed strains that are pretty funny yeah and they're I supposedly probably, printing this week so yeah, I, they'll be ready so as usual with all of our sponsors check the episode notes for discount codes everything you need to check out their website and see what you want to get few other things in regard to uh, t-shirts our t-shirts uh the ones the dionysian parade t-shirts they should be shipping early may so at some point by the time this uh, time this podcast releases they should be in stock and ready to go if you have pre-ordered them you should be getting them soon if you haven't pre-ordered but you still want one you can check the link in the episode notes and uh, the Taoist lecture series man i screwed up already I, I mentioned it again but it was done i did say yeah we're done we're ready a month ago and we're done we're not really ready because you know our good uh internet guru evan has moved to a new city start changing his life radically and completely so he has a few things to square off first before he can get to staging all these things and to perform the strange internet magic that allows you guys to paypal something and have files downloaded straight in your computer so just be patient probably by some point by late may it will be here um if anything changes between the time we're recording right now and when uh, um we release in mid-may we'll put this in the episode notes if we already have a link if not hopefully by the end of may we'll have it and uh why don't we just without further ado jump into the episode and then we'll leave a few things for the outro So get your Bibles, brothers and sisters, and let's learn! Damn right. And it's Father Bolelli, motherfucker. Ooh. I don't want to be on the same level with you guys. <sighs> but in any case, so... Genesis. A new segment of the Drunken Taoist episode that we'll do in studio will be Bible school, Sunday school. Sunday school. Yes. It is Sunday. And today, if you 
Good members of my flock are gracious enough to open your Bible at Genesis 38. There's a beautiful tale that we'll entitle, for simplicity's sake, we'll refer to it as Spilling Seed Bad. Sex with your daughter-in-law in exchange for a goat? Fine. So, on that note, this involves the story of um, Judah, one of Jacob's sons, had three kids. His oldest kid was named Ur, as in E-R, and he married this woman named Tamar. So far, so good. Except that God didn't really like her very much, and uh, he killed him because, as the Bible promptly informs us, he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. That was Genesis 38, 7. As required by tradition, what to do now? Tamar is a widow. What do we do? Well, Judah was supposed to do something else. You know, our father-in-law now was supposed to send his second son, Onan, to her, to marry her. You know, if, uh, if you are married and uh, the guy dies and he has a brother, you have to marry the brother. So Onan, brother number two, goes off and uh, the message that they give him, you know, what Judah tells Onan is, Go in onto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up to see and uh, raise up see to thy brother. The translation of these things is like you can't even use King James because it's so freaking impossible to see what they are saying. Yeah, well, what, how are you possibly going to get it right anyway? What, what, what does it mean? You're dead, Judah. What, what Judah is that? No, Judah is the one that was alive. He's the father. Uh-oh. And it's the his first son had died. So he's picking son number two on hand to say, okay, marry her have sex with her, get her pregnant, and basically the kids you are going to have, even though clearly you are the father, they are not really your house. You're serving as sperm donor for brother number one. Dead brother. Yes, precisely. So Onan is not too thrilled with this plan. So rather than getting Tamar pregnant, he's not too opposed about the idea of having sex with her, but as they are having sex and... uh, climax is coming on and decide that screw getting her pregnant so he pulls out and spills his seed on the ground genesis brought to you by the rhythm method yes and we'll quote from genesis 38 9 that says and onan knew that the seed should should not be his and it came to pass he did indeed <laughs> seriously when he went in onto his brother's wives that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. God doesn't like this either. He's very angered by this action. And so... You know why things are so much easier now? Do tell. Orgasm counting gnomes have control of this watching everybody fuck. See, when God was up in everybody's business way too much obviously well this is kind of interesting because god is clearly checking out the action yeah and the second he pulls out god is mad and kills that's him. how much it did wait somebody's fucking over here he just came on the floor precisely i mean what the fuck that's what happens a lot of pressure to live under you know not only if you don't keep your wife happy that's hard enough and that's here right but some motherfucker that's got permanent internet on your ass watching you 24 7 always behind the tree jacking one off again yeah that's... what the fuck man yeah i can see you're you're getting into it's a lot of pressure yes there indeed is some do think about that by the way next time you're having sex how uh, you have some invisible scrutiny happening around you. Where I do anyway. He's got a bell in his hand. Right. He's <laughs> well, expecting to bring that thing. That guy's Anyway, gone. what happened? So Judah is now two sons down. No, well, what did God do? 
Well, is that a lightning bolt? There's a third one. You know, Onan is gone. Ur has been killed. Both kids killed by God. Does it say how, though? I was just wondering. If the Bible no, doesn't disrupt it out. Yeah. We don't know. I, I kind of do picture, you know, a giant finger coming down from the sky, squishing him, but, you know, I don't know. I'm down with that. That's what it is from now on. Unless otherwise noted, it's a big squishy finger with a dirty fingernail. But Judah is back now because he's now two sons down. He only has one son left. And he's beginning to think about, you know, supposed he's supposed to send his third son to Tamar. But he's beginning to think that this broad just is bad luck and he just doesn't want to just no sorry i'm not sending you my last son because you just bring bad luck uh, it's just not gonna happen so he refused to send his last son and tamar is really in a bad position because in you know old testament society in ancient hebrew society if you are a woman who doesn't have kids you're basically worthless and you can't really have kids because you can't really marry somebody else at this point the only possible candidate would be the third brother except that they don't want to send him to you so you're really supposed to just go back home to your family and live forever as this never have sex never be with anybody never have kids never have any kind of the roles that were the very few roles that were acceptable in ancient jewish society you're not gonna have any of them so your life is pretty much screwed plus her mom will be pissed when she gets like, what are you i thought we were rid of you and back again precisely so tamar is in but she's smart and so she come up with an idea. What can I do? What can I do? Well, she covers herself in veils so that nobody can recognize her. And she goes onto a road where she knows that Judah is going to travel that path at some point. And she pretends to be a hooker waiting at the fork in the road. And as Genesis says, 38, 15, Genesis. Well, I'm writing this one down. This is hooker good, Bart, right? Yes. Okay, got you, go. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot. And indeed, that's what she was advertising. And apparently Judah was in dire need of the expert services of a hooker. And so he said, I pray you, let me come into you. Uh, literally, this is the Bible, Genesis 38, 16. I'm not making this shit up, I swear. You can check all of this. This, is, this by the way, the whole point where we're doing these segments is because this is to show you that really Quentin Tarantino is just the reincarnation of somebody who existed way back in the day and wrote the Bible, because you can't make this shit up, right? I mean, it's just too good. It's just, this is Quentin Tarantino having a field day, right? So, back to our story. Judah wanted, you know, he's like, okay, so how much do you want, basically? And she's like, I want a goat, because clearly that's, you know, that seemed like a fair price for sex. I don't know Give about me that. And he's like, okay, I'll give you a goat. And she's like, well, where's the goat? He's like, well, I don't have it on me. You know, I'm not carrying, you know, it's ancient currency was a little tricky to carry around. So, you know, sometimes. Well, they you used to have the goat belt, which would carry four of them on your back, but yeah. it was heavy and they would shit a lot. So it was a bit of a problem. But yeah, so he left, that, he left the goats home. He's like, look, I'll give you the goat. We're down. You know, we have no arg- arg- argument there. But, you know, and she's like, well, you need to give me something now as a down payment so that I know you'll come back with the goat. So it's like he leaves his seal and his staff with her, which are kind of symbols of his household, knowing that, you know, when I come back, you give them back to me and I give you the goat and everybody's happy. But can we please have sex now? It's like, okay, let's let's roll. Now that I have the staff and the seal, we're set. So they have sex. And again, this is getting disturbing land is already we're so deep into it it's not even funny because now she's having sex with her father-in-law essentially she gets pregnant 
Well, we and, see where he stands on the seed placement for the whole deal. Right. Didn't want to get squished with no, the finger. He got the lessons already. And uh, and again, as the Bible quotes, because we want to be precise, Genesis 38, 18, and Judah came into her and she conceived by him. He comes back with the goat and there's no more hooker. And he's like, where did she go? And so she starts asking around about the locals and stuff. You know, the hookers, they usually stand there by the road. Where is she? And it's like, there's no hooker there. There's, what are you talking about? You can get a couple guys to help you some drywall there, but there's no hookers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit. This is, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm bummed about my stuff and uh, seal, but I still have the goats, whatever, you know. <laughs> She's at the house talking to his wife, isn't she? He finds out a few months go by and he hears that Tamar is pregnant. Oh which means that she slept with somebody else and she officially actually belonged to his family now in that sense. You know, he couldn't just be sleeping around with anybody else. So he's really mad. He orders that he, she be brought to trial to be burned to death as the proper punishment for such infraction. Wow. So uh, they drag her, they bring her, and uh, he's like, what do you have to say for yourself? You know, who was the father and all of it? And she pulls out the staff and the seal. And Judah goes, oh, 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 you know, guys, this was all a big misunderstanding. I am, forget all that stuff about burning her to that. We're just. I think that was a Perry Mason episode. In the end, he's like, tell her who really. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, um, you guys look out there. You go home. Everything is fine. Don't worry. And uh, the descendants of this incestuous story will include the royal family, including King David, will include Jesus by way down the line. So it's an interesting and lovely biblical tale that I hope you, dear members of my flock, has enjoyed and gained deep wisdom out of. Father Bellelli, what would, what would be the sort of points that you'd want us to get from this story? There's a lot of information in there, but I was getting hookers good. Hookers good. Coming in dead brother's wife good. Yes, do not. Seed on ground. Bad. Very, very squishable bad. And that apparently the current rate for sex is a goat. Still seems like a lot. So for inflation, you may need more goats now, considering how... But luckily, there's the four goat belts, so you can get them all in one trip, get them to the hooker, spill it in her, and you're good with God. This is Quentin Tarantino's Old Testament, brought to you by... The Lord. So said the Lord. Absolutely. But through his prophet, Quentin. That's rant away. So follow up rant. Um, we had, uh, uh, I can't remember when it was, a few episodes ago when uh, we brought up the issue of female listeners. Yes, why they're is, out there for sure. Why is it that the overwhelming majority of in general podcast listeners, and unfortunately we are no exceptions, tend to be men. And uh, we got a lot of ma- emails back from uh, female listeners who are, Freaking awesome. I mean, whatever we're missing in quantity, we're more than making up in quality because the responses were brilliant. Like every single message I got was really well thought, long, very well thought and well written emails that were quite enlightening. Eye opening to the simple male brain for sure. Some of the, and again, I deeply apologize to those of you I don't catch because, you know, I'm a disorganized little shit. So I've 
I'm sure I forgot to write down some names. Let the botchering begin. Oh, wait, that's No, no, this is another one. This is just uh, Alexis, Claire, Lally. These are some of the ones that I remember right now as far as uh, messages we got that were great, that really got us some good stuff. And basically, all of the ones who replied were saying things regarding the question that we posed. Why is it that the podcast world in general and us as well is so more male dominated there's so much more male following than female following and some of it um like i'll quote a few things here and there one one thing that i found in one of these emails it says uh, my worry is that it's not just the podcasts that aren't attracting the girls but the entire subject matter and just open manner of being as girls are always under a lot of pressure to be offended, or supposed to be offended by bad language, by talking about sex other than romantically, by violence, the list goes on. So that's one point that shows up. I'll just bring up a few, and then we try to tie them all together in some ways to make sense of it all. Another quote from the same email. Um, this is who our female listeners are. She says... I decided not to continue along the academic path. I loved it and I was good at it, but I felt like staying there would never allow me to really experience the real world. I had no idea what I was looking for, so, and I've done lots of floundering. What I decided I needed to do, though, was be able to live in any world, and that included my body as well as my mind. Now I work part-time on a farm where my boyfriend works full-time, and we live on a farm as well. I make jewelry and graphic design for my small business and practice music in my spare time. I carry a 50-pound feedback to the barn, and I can walk in three-inch heels. I can sing in Italian or Gaelic and herd cattle where I want them to go. I check fences with a spear in hand, and I make delicate creations with silver. I crack inappropriate jokes with my buddies, and I'm helping my sister plan her purple until butterfly-themed wedding. That's pretty badass. Man. Yeah, that's a good one. That's just great. He better hold yeah. on, or she's going to find herself somebody appropriate for her. No, that's great. And uh, and the other thing that she says, though, that's funny, she said, but I don't know how to send other women to you guys, because I don't really know too many women who are along these lines. It's like I walk in both worlds, but th- there's something that she say it's harder for, even for her to deal with some of her female friends. There's a language that just doesn't translate. There are certain things that she can't quite share with them in a way and we're gonna get to whine a little bit this by the way was alexis this was from her email so from another email claire tells us um most women don't give a shit about the type of stuff you pontificate over not because it isn't important but because women haven't had as much time to cultivate all those sides of what being a human being really means for as long as the male gender has in another passage she writes Girls are really encouraged to experience a variety of life, to cultivate themselves or challenge authority. So we're kind of behind on this. Our spirits may not be so different after all, but we haven't had the ability to lead the same lives to see what that really looks like yet. I really like that one. Oh, and here we get to a point. Another point by Claire that's quite brilliant. She says, I do meet a lot of women who consider themselves very spiritual and none of them listen to your podcast. There's something that seems to be pervasive in this group of women, though, that makes me think that the drunken Taoist would not be their thing. So far, what I've put my finger on is that these women are spiritual, but have chosen spiritual a type of spirituality that discounts all the pain and hardship in the world. Most of them are very much believers in positive thinking, and they can manifest love and light into the world just by their good intentions alone. It's kind of a privileged, middle-class American version of spirituality that lacks the greed that reality really represents. 
I just happen to be a strange mix of experiences and beliefs that attracts I think it just happened to have had or something a strange mix of experiences and beliefs that attracts me to spirituality but knows that you have to take on the bad with the good or you're not fully experiencing the truth it's harder but it's worth it I believe that the warrior spirit is important in the world and a lot of spiritual women and spiritual men that I know as well think that that's unnecessary and even harmful or dangerous I think we're definitely touching fire here. There are some really good points in this that... Well, it's funny. She's talking about the spiritual people whose spirituality is sort of empty and hollow. Duncan would tell you that that's the demiurge man who is who has taken all the good religions hostage and turned them upside down so that, you know, the churches are collecting money and not helping the poor and all that madness that sort of exists. And that theme in particular is going to be part of our second half of the rant because this part has to do with gender, but the same exact thing is going to show up in the second half but before before we even wrap the first part the female oriented one there are a couple more quotes i want to throw out there because they are just too good again some of our listeners this is lally she writes i'm black born and raised and went to school in zimbabwe in a christian household and as a result of more conservative leanings yes i'm probably not your typical demographic but i make up for it by being a pharmacologist i design and test drugs haha <laughs> So how did I end up listening to your show? Well, my boyfriend of five years is your typical male listener, is a lifelong student of the martial arts, and never mind thinking outside the box, he lives there. <laughs> a couple of other things. So when we agreed to begin a long-distance relationship, uh, when I went to grad school, I tried to find a way to stay plugged into his life and find things to talk about. He's a Joe Rogan fan, so I thought I would try that. As faced with David, the first time I listened to a Joe podcast, he had Duncan on the show, and within 30 minutes, the conversation had drifted to using Jesus plant fertilizer. Needless to say, it took a while to listen to another podcast. <laughs> then she goes, uh, uh, da, 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 da. and she brings up a similar point to what we see earlier about why don't women listen to your show? Because your show is a role. Um, and she brings up what she called the Disney princess narrative being our enemy. So why is Disney fucking with us? Well, Disney's fucking with us for a simple reason. She said, in this narrative, there's little room for some of the raw, real-life, gritty discussions you have on the show. For instance, does, do Disney princesses ever want to begin to think that someday their sex life will get boring or that her husband actually d- does watch porn? You know, and she used sex as an example just as being one, but she said this could apply to many, many other levels. In some way, what I'm gathering from all of this is that there are rules, not rules as in laws, as in habits, as cultural habits that are enforced on women in a way that's much stricter than the way it's enforced on men. That some of these messages, some of these ideas exist for men as well, but the emphasis is so much more intense on women to fulfill certain expectations, to play a certain role, to uh, what it's supposed to be like. You're supposed to be like that. And breaking away from that means you're bad, 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 and you're a terrible person, and you should feel bad about yourself. That kind of message is internalized by women a lot more, just because it's been shoved down their throat a lot more. So do men have that happening as well? Yeah, of course they do, but to a much lesser degree. Boys will be boys. Right. Exactly. That's precisely what's going on there with that mentality. In some way, there's more room for men to be breaking rules, 
to be outside the box than there is for women from what I'm gathering from all the comments. It's definitely much easier to tarnish your image as a woman too. Like one little incident is it's going to be remembered forever. Guys have sort of this more Teflon Bill Clinton coding where you can kind of get one, ah, you know, ah, he was young. Ah. Precisely. And that has been, if you think about it, that has been the way forever, right? Even if you look to like biblical rules there's like if you're a woman and you have sex outside of marriage you'll be stoned to that if you're a man well just don't have sex with women who belong to other men but hookers prisoners of war slaves they're all fair game you know that's all fine is so it's really some serious double standard which clearly plays a role and again today nobody by law forces women to do too many things that are different from what men can do you know today in the united states things have improved dramatically compared to what they were even a hundred years ago. So there's that. But culture doesn't change as fast in some cases. There, some ideas are internalized. Some ideas live inside of you. Even when nobody's watching over you and forcing you to comply with certain laws, you are your own cop who lives inside of your head, who's keeping you within certain boundaries and is scared to let you out. There's this internalized idea forcing women to fit certain standards of how things are supposed to be. As they were saying earlier, the princess narrative, you know, what the typical image that many girls grow up with as far as what's appropriate for a woman to become, a young girl to be and a woman to become. And the problem with us is that just about everything we bring up is always outside the freaking rules right it's just every other thing and we don't do it because we're pain in the asses or i don't know maybe we are but it's kind of like this outlaw vibe is in our dna and by outlaw i don't mean just literally outlaw even though that occasionally plays a role but no we're talking in terms of you being used to operating outside the rules you know not be not be by the book and not be by the book can even be something as simple as a Taoist mixing things that people don't put together being intellectually driven and athletic at the same time that in itself is breaking some rules uh these kind of things that talking about being i don't know i can come up with a million examples in that regard but you get the idea this idea of mixing languages mixing narratives that most people keep separate so if you are a good guy means you do this and this and this well you're a good guy but you can also play with things that traditionally are bad boy territory that doesn't make it it depends how you do it it depends of how the mix most people have these ideas if you talk about that things it means this and this about you if you discuss uh, certain topics the fact that we are constantly mixing and matching things, the fact that even our episode description is not is not a show about history, is not a show about philosophy, is not it's a show about life, right? We throw in there every single thing that we can think of that fits, that's intense, that's powerful. Make life complicated for some people. It's messy, right? I think it's funny, like neither of us chose uh wallflowers of women. No. Definitely. We like the feistier type anyway. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like there are certain things that are not female or male. They are human. It's yeah. like, take like an archetypal masculine characteristic, like strength. What, women are supposed to be weak? How the fuck is strength a male thing? Strength is a human thing. Strength is anybody who's alive. Yeah, ask, ask an angry strength. mother grizzly about strength. Yeah, so it's like, I find those things stereotypes you know gender stereotypes are really what they are stereotypes and i find them cages and i find them to be prisons and that's precisely what 
by inviting people to step out of the stereotypes we're doing something that messes with their sense of identity because that's how they grew up thinking that that's appropriate for the appropriate way to live and it confuses them to me again i'm dna wise born that way i'm just used to to me if i if you really want to find out how things are ask an outlook because you know in the rule book you're going to find how things are supposed to be that's not how things are that's just the official story if you're not really go how things are you go outside the rules you go because it's outside the rules that stuff gets done for me i find it in everything i freaking do i cannot stick to the rules i don't know if it's just my weird whatever going on with my brain i always end up doing something unorthodox even when i'm not trying to be you know if i train jujitsu within five minutes of rolling the move that i've been shown i'm not gonna do it the way they show me i'm gonna introduce some little change that i'm like no that works better for me i'm not i have this allergy to just this is how you're supposed to do things i'll do it I get it, you know, that's just my own weird thing, but I find it that that's where life dwells. It dwells where you make it your own, where it becomes something that's more real, rather. It's not found in rules. It just is not there. You know, it's, uh, in my mind, is anybody who's learning anything should right away figure out a different ways of going about it. You know, when you learn it, that's great. Thank you for giving that to me. Now, how can I make it my own? How can I play with it i don't play well within the rules and mr rich does not either now rules are for stupid people so yeah i mean really to keep them is, in order a little bit yeah it's exactly the rules are for those who are don't have the guts fantasy creativity willpower to live without having rules the craziest thing is how our society has reached the point where all we do is believe what these screens say in front of us you know mm-hmm. you could go to the bank and you know something's afoot and wrong but well the computer says and nobody has the capacity or the balls to even step over you know what it probably is a mistake if you need 20 bucks here you go right now i'm your bank i trust you no right it's no room for anybody to wiggle at all when they're trapped in their you know little cages of course and that's where the nightmare is beginning and that's what's tricky about this stuff because really what it boils down to is that most people in the world throughout history just go with the program that has been downloaded in their brain at birth that they are raised with they never question it which is why at one point in history slavery is totally cool and people honestly would think that slavery is fine and or people are burning people in ovens or people are killing all their neighbors because the cockroaches must die you know over and over again and these are not necessarily all awful human beings who believe these things i mean in some cases clearly but in some cases they were just stupid human beings meaning human beings who never try to figure out does this actually really make sense who never stopped to question the norm of their times and just went along with it and only once a critical mass starts switching the ideas regarding maybe slavery is not okay maybe burning witches at the stake is not okay then it becomes a horror how could anybody do that it's like well we used to do it right here right and you would have done it put in that place because you are the same person who's not questioning today's norms either so to me that thing of just going by the book is the enemy of living a real free life and again it seems from what we're getting email wise is that the restriction of women's freedoms 
And again, we're not speaking legal restriction. We're talking about cultural and internalized restrictions that still affect are much more intense than the restriction on male freedom, which is why more male will be willing to play with us outside of the traditional rules and less women are there. Now, those of you guys who are with us, you have no idea how much we appreciate you. We have no idea all the emails, the comments, even the ones that I'm sorry, again, I didn't mention mention by name. There were awesome, brilliant stuff that I love reading. So thank you guys so much. Now, on that note, uh, one of the points that we were raising early regarding the, that sense of a very clean, sterile type of spirituality got me thinking when I was taking a look at some uh, reviews on, what was I looking? It wasn't Amazon. I think it was Goodreads or one of those sites. I was looking at reviews and realizing who are the people who really don't like me. And there were apparently quite a few of them. And... Um, <laughs> So some of these guys, I realize, took a while to start seeing a pattern. The one word that I found over and over as an insult to Mr. Bolelli was over and over again, I found a bunch of people saying I am juvenile. And that was supposed to be a bad thing. I thought it was actually a good thing, but It's the case. things you throw in the Olympics, right? <laughs> Well, it's a javelin, you big bastard. Oh, there's a lot of language going today. I'm sorry. I know, strange things. Huh? Jesus. And uh, the main two complaints was, uh, particularly to create your own religion, was I am juvenile and I am too negative. And these as in New Agers who got pissed off because basically, well, uh, let's deal with the negative one and then we'll jump into the juvenile, which is the one that I have most fun with. The negative one is simple. It's like some people where create your own religion, they expect a book that's all flower and roses and is like peace and love and you can, that kind of create your own religion. You know, a very, much like the email we were discussing earlier, this idea of this very clean, sterile type of spirituality. The fact that I can be bland, tough, uh, talk about horrendously nasty things that happen in religious history and putting emphasis on how horrendous and nasty they are, to me, is not being negative. To me, is let's look at, let's call shit shit, let's look at it for what it is. Once you reject what you think is crap, what looks like it's crap, by putting the emphasis on why this is crap, then I think that cleans up the slate so that you can create. Do you have any idea how much your negativity has affected my moon crystals? I charged <laughs> these in a full moon for three years, and now they are essentially worthless because of all the spewage that you're harshing on me? That's kind of what I got from some of these reviews, was just like, and I understand, you know, I, I get it. That's not your thing. If this is who you are, clearly what I'm doing is not your thing because it's... Crystal killer. <laughs> exactly. I'm uh, Daniele the Crystal Killer Bolelli. No, I mean, some of this really is like, to me, being real, even just the Bruce Lee method is reject what is useless in order to absorb what is useful and add what is specifically your own, all of that. <laughs> I always is, like the Woody Allen one. I wouldn't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. Right. <laughs> no, the, that thing is reject what is useless. You know, it's like part of the game is also addressing the nasty ugly monstrous thing and casting them out that leaves you then gives you the freedom to com even by comparison 
this is the ugly stuff this is the good stuff this is where you if you only focus on this idealize think positive uh, i can turn the world it's like to me that's not real you know to me the kind of when people are spouting the words like love positivity this over and over again to me that's taking away from that stuff because you're not being real you are not really addressing those kind of things in a 360 degree kind of way well they forget the most important step and that is pay to have your engrams removed <laughs> while you're pop- no that's wrong again i'm that- sorry <laughs> continue the so there's that fine but the one that i have really fun with is the juvenile one there was one there was um quite a few actually said the same thing there was some people who were like you know i thought i listened to some podcast or something it sounded smart and i thought some of the juvenile humor was just you know that's podcasting and he's trying to keep it to a low level audience but then when i'm reading the book I'm sure he's just a juvenile trying to pass himself off as an intellectual. Now, why does that piss me off? First, where in the fucking world do I ever try to pass myself off as an intellectual? I despise intellectuals. Or a grown-up. Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, it's like, where did you get that? You know, the... I have one of the lines at one point I have in Create Your Own Religion. There's a whole line where I'm speaking about finding the proof for God's existence in boobs uh, and uh, a jar of Nutella. And when I I write, uh, you know, if you think, if you find this superficial, probably that's because I am. How the fuck am I trying to pass myself off as something? I'm telling you, that's not who I am or I want to be. I don't want to. To me, the whole idea of uh, intellectual is so stuffy and annoying and just lacking reality. It's what I'm into, again, is this mix of things. Like uh, when I was looking at the juvenile thing and thinking like, juvenile, really? Then I started looking at my Twitter account and I was looking at all the freaking pictures and they were like, yeah, there's, I started seeing a pattern from, uh, you know, this picture of weed and knives and hot women and my horrendously stupid comments i was like yeah i can see how that works but whereas in this case juvenile is used as a bad word as something as you're not serious which by the way i find funny because that's like the favorite words by judges cops and sadistic teachers is serious right is to me is childlike wonder humor zest that's where life is and that's where that's why when we're talking a few episodes ago about tom robbins that's why we worship tom because he's like stupid ass juvenile humor hand in hand with super deep philosophy and if you don't see the deep philosophy because you are turned off by the humor that's your loss really because they are both there and they are not even i wouldn't even separate them between stupid humor and deep philosophy because to me they are one and the same one works with the other side of it one makes the other side more real it's kind of like the discussion we're having about women listener a minute ago there's this idealized way of how life is supposed to be and the fact that we regularly and constantly break those rules because we do not play the part of how it's supposed to be we don't you know if i want to play the part of the deep intellectual the philosopher the professor all that shit I can play the part and then I shoot myself because it's the most boring thing on earth and it's the most inauthentic thing on earth because life does not look like that, man. If you tell me that that's how you are 365 days a year, I am really sad for you. Or hoping you're going to get smited sooner than later. Yeah, because that just... 
nasty to me. So my take is I take juvenile as a as a pride thing, as a, a as a badge of pride, because to me, yes, that's exactly how I want to be. You know, juvenile philosophy, I'm loving it. You know, that's what to me life is about. It's about the mix of those things. Taoism to me is not about, and Lao Tzu said this in this paragraph of the Tao Te Ching that shows the depth of Chinese philosophy during the... It's not that. It's about mixing all these elements that most people are horrified when you mix them because they can't quite figure out how can you possibly be an athlete and smart at the same time? How can you possibly be super strong and cry at movies? How can you possibly be sensitive but also have guts and toughness? How can you possibly... It doesn't... It doesn't square off with my stereotype. It doesn't square off with my vision of how life is supposed to be. So there's clearly something wrong with you kind of thing. That's where I am. I understand the disappointment of those who are looking for that. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it because it's neither how I am or how I want to be. And uh, it's really back to what she was saying about the element. Because when I thought about it, when you know some of those ladies were saying our show is raw, I'm like, what the hell does that mean in a way? You know, in which way you do tell? In which way are we raw? To me, it's like we're just human. What the hell is that? Oh, what does it even mean that we are raw? I actually do know what they mean after some thinking about it, and I think they are totally right. But I don't know. In which way would you say we are raw? What do you think? Real. R-O-W. I'm sorry, R-A-W, row, as in WWE Monday Night Row. I don't know. I think... WWF? Raw is not really the... I guess it is edgy in a way, and it Mm -hmm. keeps people off guards, and we don't really mind pulling Band-Aids off in a hurry. Um, But I don't think Raw is totally correct at all. I think it's more of we just have this notion that the guy who thinks he's got it all figured out is the last one we're going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And we'd much rather experience everything with everybody else and come to maybe a bit of a group consensus. And what do you guys think? And what do you think? And nobody's ever going to agree. So you might as well exist in the flavor of everything instead of just picking purple and being stuck with it for all time and being a grumpy bastard because I've got it all. So I think when you're talking about sort of some of the you know, long-term religions and things like that that are just stuck in their ways with no refusal to move or anything, yeah, we'd be raw compared to that because they are but even old I think sticks in the mud. Maybe the raw thing, there's something about just being... Uh, honest? Re- yeah, being real to some degree, being honest in a way that in an environment in which few people step outside of stereotypes doing something so normal because i don't think we're doing something all that exceptional it's not to say oh we are so smart and great and step out of stereotypes it's like anybody who's alive could and should be doing this this is not rocket science and welcome to join in and yet the fact that so few people do it in itself marks you as raw because you are dealing with life outside of the script outside of how it's supposed to be and they are just diving headfirst with how it is, with all its contradiction, its ugliness, its weirdness, its beauty, all wrapped together. But once you get a good look around and you look at these crazy things, like there's children that go to bed hungry in the city while an asshole has his $300 million yacht, and you start, you know, there's got to be a way to smooth that over, and not an impossible way. Mm-hmm. So I think there's so many folks that do just reach the point where, oh, well, that's just how it is, that maybe those folks that 
don't think we're I, raw is an interesting one, man. Raw I think more of like just unprepared or, 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 or torn. No, or no I think a, the meaning of that in raw is as in uh, just from the guts yeah. where just no um i kind of like the word raw i've heard that a bunch before even when i was teaching sometime like i will get oh very raw i'm like what are you talking about and then i think about how other people like i'm like okay i get it you know it's like yeah. it's the way you know dan carlin does his podcast is raw it's it, it's very well prepared it's <gasps> far from unprepared it's the opposite but it's very it gets in the gut it's not purely an intellectual process it's something that affects your multiple levels well it is important to get down there and see where the uh, the pus and the blood is on occasion and uh, that's life too right? that's where the hurt is and that to me boils down to what being authentic means it means not trying to show an image not trying to sell an image i'm gonna do a book about spirituality so i'm gonna speak the spiritual lingo and wave the crystal or i'm going it's to about do... time that you came around to my side right man. or i'm going to do the um, i'm gonna be an intellectual i'm gonna you know play by those kind of rules of what it means and instead just being authentic means to me truly being who you are and more importantly who you want to be without fucking worrying about if i say this word it's gonna appear this way if i do this other thing it's gonna seem and then it does make it. sense because what you see is what you get and i have a more one occasion maybe been a little quick with the snappy response or maybe my sarcasm isn't playing in this room the way i would think it would so yeah i could see that but, but i'm not gonna change exactly and the thing is it's one thing to change as in, you know, with smooth edges. That's fine. That's being smart, right? What it about being that, beaten into your cage, though? That's it, another way That's to a whole different thing, and that's really not what we want to be. No. You know, and just not the way any of us want to live. At least not present company. I, I will bend with the bamboo in the wind when someone's like, no, everything you've learned is wrong. Have a look. So You're either going to have a look or you're not going to. Precisely. So juvenile and proud to be, I would say. And raw. And on the dunk, since we mentioned Dan Carlin, I'm just going to throw in a teaser there. Let's just keep it for a future episode. We'll see what that means. If you guys dig Dan Carlin or his style of doing things or the theme of his stuff, I would predict, look in the crystal ball and see that in the future of this podcast, there will be an interesting announcement in that regard about something that we'll be doing in the fall. So let's leave it at that. For a visit into Bellelli's dream time. I have a dream. So, the dream for this week. He wants to play for the Clippers. Yeah, that, right? The uh, How about that, motherfucker? Did you see Snoop's response? Yeah, that was great. But I didn't understand if Snoop actually likes the Clippers owners or not. I was puzzled. You know, it was a little too subtle, Snoop's message. I couldn't quite... He is a man who sort of doesn't exactly unveil all his cards when he's dropping yeah. his, you know, message. For those of you guys who have no idea what we're talking about... it'll be six months in the future when you hear yeah. it. No, this is actually going to be a couple... We're recording it now. It's going to be a couple of weeks. It'll still be hot. The owner of the LA Clippers made some insanely racist comments, and uh, there was this brilliant reply by snoop lion now no more dog um, it was pretty funny i just the most i think 
if there is a world record for putting in 15 seconds the highest amount of profanity you can possibly put, I think Snoop won it there because he was just fucking. It was impressive for sure. But I, you know, but I just this is kind of a nice line of demarcation. If you're on the owner's side, then you gotta get your head examined. It's 2014, everybody. No, but I mean, I don't think even the owner is on the owner's side. It's just so bad, the whole story, that it's not even close. But in any case. Anyway, so that wasn't a dream. There you go. That's one of those waking nightmares. Now what? Really? Yeah. No, that was bad. The the dream thing for this time, I was having this weird dream in which everyone I would talk to spoke English just like me. And I could finally hear the way I speak English, because again, what I... What do you mean? That's not the way it is every day. Uh, I am completely... You tell me something, I mean, it's, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. We talk like this all the time, what do you say? To me, it sounds like perfect, right? I, I'm exactly. actually thinking... You are perfect. Why is this guy Your sognoragnity is safe here, my friend. And that was exactly the point. The and I'm about what I please. The number of words that showed up that I realized, oh yeah, I do say that in the 714 and 11. There was a whole bunch of them. There was from word, okay, so I'll teach you guys how to speak proper English. Ready to go? So the word category. Category, exactly correct. Thank you. Yeah, That's how you're supposed to say it, right? Category, goddammit, that's how it's done. Perfect. It's with a A, perfect. It's perfect, man. Would you say gnome for us? Gnome? People love that. I thought it was actually accurate. But, but there's a tiny growl of the G still hanging in yeah. the back to gnome because it's kind of fuck the G. Well, know? there's nothing tiny about the next one. There's a word that I kid you not. I had people call me from across the country where I kind of know them, but not even that well. And they were like, can you please say the word that I'm about to say? So this is a small rodent who lives in trees. It has a bushy tail. And in my vocabulary, it's clearly squirrel. squirrel. It's squirrel. Yeah. What the hell is squirrel? Squirrel. I don't know what the hell. It's squirrel. In any case, everybody was saying squirrel in the dream, and I was very pleased with that. Then, you know, there are those words, like, that I don't think I'm fucking up too much, but I do hear it a little, like, good. There's a bit at the end there that's not just good. Or red, things like that. As we have mentioned before, one of the best words ever, sovereignty. Ah, oh, it's the best. Which is actually sovereignty, but, you know. There's, um, the silence of your students is the beauty of that story. That's yeah, like that's like you had a big gnarly chunk of spinach on your teeth for like four days and nobody. Except told you. that I'd say that Cold. for like seven years. Oh, so, so years, yeah, years of this happening until somebody oh, said, man. "Are you trying to sing sovereignty?" And I'm like, "Sovereignty, yes, yes." Exactly. Just like it's spelled right. The, um, it's also, by the way, it's funny when I try to translate things from English into Italian. After I started living in US for a while, and you know, you are no longer. Sometimes I would be speaking Italian and English words come to mind, and so you're translating them in the language, but some stuff doesn't translate. I remember the face of these people who I was saying about, I was trying to say in Italian. I just rock around and go, oh. quanto queso now. <laughs> yeah, no, this was, I was talking about salad and I was trying to say, you know, I like organic better because there's, they put so much, uh, I wanted to say, uh, now I don't even remember the actual English word, which is why I probably use this one. I wanted to say like, um, oh yeah, preservatives and things to k- make it last longer. The problem is so preservatives. I thought oh, preservatives, so I translate it into Italian sound like preservativi, right? It makes sense. It's the same word, right? Except that that's not what it means in Italian. Preservativi actually means condom. So when I started telling all these people how in US people always put a bunch of condoms in their salad, they were just looking at me like. Man, we knew Americans were weird, but damn, that is weird. What the hell is up with this? I don't even know. 
Yeah, it was interesting. Now, the fact that the English language was created by somebody purely and only for the purpose of fucking with me is proven by one thing that happened <laughs> very early in my stay in the US. You know, the word mind, M-I-N-D, the I is I, right? Is mind. So I figure I'm ordering ice cream and M-I-N-T will be mind, right? Mind chocolate. Yeah, yeah. No, it's mint chocolate. What the fuck, man? It's like, it's the same thing. There's a T for a D. Why does the pronunciation change? That pissed me off to no end. Wasn't it funny that we came up with all the little symbols and knobs for long and short, and why don't we just let them hang anyway? It makes me mad. And like the whole thing, like they were thinking, is he trying to order mind chocolate? What's he talking about? And I was like, very mad about it. In any case, one of my favorite words, mischievous. I think he's supposed to be how do you pronounce the word? Mischievous? Yes, thank you. Mischievous, as I was saying. I, I like it. Now, 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 you are on record saying that you let the heavier Italian accent hang to attract the pretty ladies. No, actually, that's a lie because I honestly don't know. I, let's rephrase it. I never actively work at getting rid of it. But is, there's nothing intentional because as I'm speaking now, I kid you not, I'm thinking I'm speaking perfect English that I could be, you know, anywhere and they would think I'm native, except that then I get to listen to myself later on and I get to see other people's faces, how they respond. And I'm like, I guess not. I uh, I thought, uh, you know, book. It's a book, damn it. I'm going to read a book. It's, it's not how you say it. Or one of those words that piss me off to no end. W-O-R-L-D. First, who the hell puts three consonants in a row? R-L-D. That's a tough one. Word. This sounds like German. Word. Come on, man. That just means fish. Specifically, one kind of fish. Salmon. I had this conversation going on forever where I go like, hey, do you want to eat some salmon tonight? I'm like, what What do you want to make? Salmon. I'm, I'm sorry, what do you want to make? Salmon. Do you mean salmon? And I'm like, fish. I'm like, oh, fish, okay, that's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, I lost some fish. What kind of fish? Salmon. I'm sorry? I'm like, God damn it, it's salmon. It's S-A-L-M-N. It's like, how the hell do you guys pronounce it? Salmon. No, come on, serious. How do you say it? Have some, there's nobody that's putting the L in it, for sure. So we're going to go have some grilled salmon tonight. It's in there. It's the third freaking letter. There's shit all over there. There's K's and G's pronounced here and there. Pronounced you know? Minute. Minute. We, 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 we don't even agree region to region. Unless you're hearing the nice, you know, flat L.A. non-accent oh, accent. That pissed me off. And one thing that was my fault, it has nothing to do with nobody trying to screw with me. In Italian, you know how you say ciao for both when you meet somebody and when you leave? Very confusing. So when I first got here, I would be speaking on the phone with somebody and you know, the conversation is coming to an end. And so the literal translation of ciao is hi. So at the end of the conversation, when I'm about to you know leave and hang up, I'm like, okay, da, 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 okay, and hi. Um, and they're like, is he starting again? He's about to start the conversation because you know, hi is only when you begin and not when you end. So damn confusing. In any case, in my dream, everybody spoke like me. <laughs> So it was a finally a word, a word that make perfect sense. And I was so happy with it. When I woke up, I was sad and lonely again. Oh. And see, there you go. The nightmares exist only in the daylight. <laughs> I love you, baby. 
the dulcet tones of Big Is means only one thing. It's time for Isabella moment and the learned truth that raising daughters is a bitch. And before before we even go into the Isabella moment, one thing that I found pretty funny, and these are the mysteries of internet and Twitter and all of it, how the universe is connected in ways that one wouldn't believe. I noticed this... Um, I received this message that uh, Mr. Ishi Rudel uh, was following me on Twitter, and I look him up, and what does he do? He's the cartoon director for My Little Ponies. Nice. And he works at My Little Ponies while listening to The Drunken Taoist, and uh, at the same time, I'm freaking reenacting every possible scene from My Little Pony because my daughter is enslaving me, and so I have forced to play. So you're you're a brony. No, I refuse the claim, but I but am. But you can't uh, deny the action. Uh, by now, I know every single line of every single season because Isabella made me look at them like seven million times. We'll have a lot of questions about that soon. Yes. But yes. So your daughter is essentially like it would be like if your dad tapped the Godfather film vault gold uh, mine when you were. Yeah. Three or four. So there's a very interesting exchange there happening of uh, somehow I think we may be influencing the lines that Pinkie Pie may be speaking in the next episode. And at the same time, you know, I'm freaking seeing that stuff. It's hilarious. In any case, thank you, Mr. Ishi Rudel. Hell yeah. Very deeply appreciated. And Welcome aboard. Exactly. Now, um, Isabella, these are some of the latest. We had one yet, two days ago or something that was pretty funny. She saw me finishing a set of lifting weights and she goes like why don't you do a little more don't you want all the women to say oh he's such a manly man and i thought that was the best motivation i've ever heard in any gym you know when you have big sweaty guys going like go one more and you're like fuck you i don't want to go one more you go one more <laughs> but you know having the innocent creature reminded me of uh base motives such as uh, getting female attention yes I was very thrilled with that you don't even smell the, the whispery ghost shadow of what else that also means don't you what does that also mean that is one day your little darling is going to be looking for her own manly man well I've already been informed by the way let me see if I <laughs> find it in I've already been recently informed that she um what was that like a month ago or something she told me she walked out of school telling me two pieces of important information one was that she had a boyfriend who was a four-year-old from her class and the second one that she had settled for what career she wanted in life and she was going to become a ninja so i was like okay that's with so many of these millennials that don't even oh i want to get a bend in here night and one tired. day she decided she's that, already made her yeah. pathway no man. she's on she wants to be a ninja so every time she goes out of school we have she had to walk on like the border of walls <laughs> do all these things be very silent and all of that and at the same time you had a four-year-old boy from her class um one day she was pissed she decided i don't want him as my boyfriend anymore mm. and then the next day i'm like so what's up with him is everything okay now are you it's like, yeah, I love him again. He's too handsome not to love. Oh, I was like, don't I know about that problem? So, yes, so much about the future. Forget the future. It's the present already. That's true. Um, <laughs> other things. The Oh, this is kind of fun. So this we started this new tradition for the last three weeks or something. When she goes to bed, you know, I always tell her a story uh, to, you know, some kind of random thing that I make up to make her fall asleep and all of that but lately she told me you know no more kids story we're done you know like I'm a big girl enough of this kids crap I don't, I'm tired of it 
So, you know, my dad, when he was visiting, he was like putting her to bed, telling tales from the Iliad, the Odyssey, all of that. She dug it. And so she wants big people stories. And I'm like, let's go, you know. So I picked up this one book that I, I was reading very intensely when she was tiny and she was strapped to me half of the day and I would take walks back and forth with her, making her sleep. Orlando Furioso is this Italian epic poem from, I believe, the 1400s, written by this guy, Ludovico Ariosto. There's, it comes in two volumes. Each one is like 900 pages. It's monstrous, gigantic epic poems. And the whole thing is like 13,000 different stories weaved together into one, basically. But it's like each chapter, it's almost a story on its own. So what I do is every night I'll skim through, read a chapter again, refresh my memory, and when she goes to bed, I tell her the story of the chapter and then we finish that. But this, to give you an idea of the vibe of the thing, these are the first two lines out of this monstrously gigantic epic poem translated into English, they sound. Of ladies, cavaliers, of love and war, of courtesies and of brave deeds I sing. Which is really everything that I've ever been interested in is right there, right? That's a nice intro. Ladies and knights, love and war, courtesies and brave deeds. What else do you want? You know, that that's all I ever care for. So I was quite pleased with the fact that Isabella is very intrigued with this. Um, so there's that has been fun. And um, let's see, what else do we want to throw out there? Oh, speaking of sleeping, she had been having... Uh, on one of these nights, actually before we started the Orlando Furioso tradition, she fell asleep and um, I was about to leave because she was clearly out, but she woke up two minutes later, which usually never happens when she's out, she's out for a while, right? She woke up two minutes later, she was very agitated and I was still right next to her, so she saw me, she calmed down a bit and she was like, why do little kids have so many nightmares? You know, she obviously had a bad dream and she was... Bugged. It's like, why do I have to deal with this crap every night? You know, I go to bed and all these scary things come to my mind. You know, I don't like it. Why is that? Because in the future, the nightmares exist in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you want to tell your kids. Yeah, when they that'll are. calm her down. Yeah. At least yes. she'll be able to sleep next, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks, still nighttime. You don't have to worry about the daytime ones. Right. So sleep well for the next six or seven weeks. Because it's coming, yeah. right? And then sleep will be easy. Somehow this genius answer was not what came to my Damn. mind at the moment. I'm always trying to help uh, my thing was it's because you don't control anything you know all day long you have big people tell you what to do when to do it how to do it you have very little choice about anything really that happens in your life on a day-to-day basis you're too little to take care of yourself so people are constantly arranging your life and for you without you having much of a say so in this you know as much as i like to bring you in at the end of the day there are so many choices that have to be made every day that the adults are making for you now as you grow up you gain a bit more choice over how you live your life and so a little bit of that anxiety goes away of this constantly just being a box that's moved by adults left and right without you having any say so and as a result, you may have less nightmares. You know, she gave this thoughtful pose. Usually, she, as soon as I finish speaking, she'll speak back, she'll throw something. She just stopped there for like five seconds and she was clearly considering my words and just thinking about it. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. I'm like, is she crying? It's like, I guess I didn't convince her. Like, and then I realized, no, she's laughing her ass off. She's like, wah, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, what's so funny? And she's like, well, after you explain it, 
it's not really that scary anymore. It's a little scary, but not that scary. It's more funny than scary. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you see it that way. Glad I could help. I didn't quite anticipate that. And so, good night. And then she passed out and slept for 12 hours. When you get grown up, almost all the dreams are dead. And that includes the nightmares. See? <laughs> you should seriously write a children's book. I think that would... Uh, <laughs> It would be a guaranteed success. So on that note, that was Isabella over the last few days. There you go. An excellent Izzy update. Brought to you by Amazon. We've put on our, our lava-proof gloves, and we're going to zip open the digital mirror mag and reach bravely inside. Do you remember Flash Gordon when he had to put his arm in the thing, and the monster was there, and stab you in the arm and kill you? Disturbing. Prince, yes, I remember. Sort of what it's like reaching into that mailbag, man. So I'm going to step back here and let you... Uh, well, then you do it, in that case. Okay, here we go. There you go. Oh, you did it. Good job. First one, I've been ignoring you for a long time. I deeply apologize. I realize I didn't reply to something for a long time. Christine... Um, religious use of marijuana a little tidbit about the religious use of marijuana so literally this is one of the things that is like lots of cultures around the world have used weed for religious purposes from a bunch of branches of Hinduism Hinduism is such a mess in a way because there's everything and the opposite you know the only common thread I mean Hinduism is that he's from India but there are so many different traditions associated with it. Some of them, both in ancient times, ancient as in, you know, recorded in the Vedas from over 3,000 years ago, down to the present, refer to cannabis as a sacred plant. Shiva in particular, the god Shiva, is renowned for having a connection with weed, much like Dionysus has a connection with wine. There are even some people who suggest that Dionysus and Shiva are really the same god as it evolves from one culture into the next. So little tidbits change, but some of the basics. And you'll learn, fellas, if she'll drink some wine, she'll probably smoke a joint with you too. So Indeed. don't be nervous about it. Just put it out there, especially if you're in Denver. In Denver, of course. Uh, one legend about Shiva, they say that weed was actually created out of Shiva's body. So what you're kind of like, you know, you're drinking wine is the this is Jesus the blood. This is the blood. You're smoking a joint this is, is crazy. Shiva's body. This is the zombie. So there's that. One of the things that you see a lot of the Shiva hits, sadhus, the guys who are traveling around with dreadlocks, they smoke always um, hashish from these pipes called chilum. They are this long straight tube with a stone in there that you put in the middle too, so that all the stuff doesn't just go straight in your mouth. Those things are intense, man. I remember growing up in Italy, there, those are mainly the pipes that existed because there was way more ashish than there is marijuana. So that's what people smoke. Those things are pretty heavy. I can tell you that much. I remember my first chilum when I was 16 or something. I had a drawing of Shiva meditating on it, engraved in the chilum. It was beautiful. I love it. In any case, some branches of insanity. And again, a lot of this is not a religion endorsing it. It's branches within a religion endorsing it. So within Hinduism, clearly not everybody, not even a majority, but definitely some. In Taoism, some branches were associated with use of cannabis. And some of the Taoist deities were also associated as being the ones bringing weed to the people. Various forms of animistic shamanism, particularly in Asia, uh, you see evidence of this. You see, for example, in ancient China, shamans being buried with bricks of cannabis in there, kind of like grave goods, you know, the kind of thing that people leave with you for what you need in the afterlife. 
you need a big Brick. amount of weed with you <laughs> just in case that's just for tomorrow friend after that i don't know what you're gonna do yeah. good luck though start planting and the- you know sketchy dave will be there three hours after the funeral <laughs> can we just dig up right there's herodotus the ancient greek historians talk about the Scythians. the Scythians were basically iranian tribes who, um <laughs> what what did i say quite it's a terrible name, man. <laughs> you get to pick your own team. Who are you going to be? I'm going to be on the Shittians. Yeah, that does not sound so Are you good. sure? It's entirely possible to mispronounce it. Uh, it could be, be the Shitians, but then that's funny to English guys. That just sucks all around. I don't know. You try. S-C-Y-T-H-I-A-N-S. That's the Shitians. Okay, good. Well, in that case. Well, they, if it was, I'd come up with some shit. You wouldn't be calling us the Shittians. I fucking promise you that. <laughs> These guys. We are the Shithians. Uh, Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, they would, I'll have you know. Yeah, luckily they are not around with that name anymore. <laughs> well, there's so a they reason. Be offended, but well, these guys had some interesting custom. Besides the fact that they would often drink wine from the skull of their enemies, Ooh, but that's beyond the point. They were kind of shitty. They would have uh, sweat lodges, uh, much like American Indians, and in the sweats they would throw hemp onto the rocks creating you know a lot of hemp smoke inside the lodge which contributed to the psychedelic experience of the whole thing even in northern europe the norse goddess freya or whatever is pronounced was associated with both sex and cannabis and uh, kind of there was a connection there which i can see even logically like the connection the effect that cannabis has sometime on women's orgasm it's something that again i imagine and think that i'm not revealing anything new to you guys but well, what's really amazing is that is also the goddess that 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 put the caveat out there that if you do have a nice fat sack you do have a better chance of getting laid for sure that indeed helps yeah but yeah what's with weed and women's sexuality i don't I really know like it man yeah there's something there that we i always hear about women who sometimes have a hard time getting the gnome to ring the bell with weed, much, much easier time. Women who normally have an easy time with their home, no um, ringing the bell. After enough weed, the gnome just loses his arm because he's like, it's like, well, I won't get into that, but I'll just mention one quick thing. I'll just hint it there and leave it and move on to something it's else. It's relaxation, but, man. But it's the ultimate just sort of rewind. And, and if your lady friend's uptight from all the bullshit that's gone on all day long, you get a nice joint. And you can just see her unwind. And now those lines of communication to her fantastic lady bits are now free to flow and let it go. And I'm just gonna throw a number out there just for, and then we'll skip this. If it's topic 69, for, I'm ringing my own bell. It's 18. Oh, that's a good one, too. 18 orgasms. Hmm. On that note, in any case, the problem about the whole sex and weed so part is um, in the case of men, it occasionally can make you a little too relaxed. So the proportion probably may be more weed for the lady, less for the man, because, you know, you can get so relaxed. Yeah, it's not as ma- hard about yeah. anything that he did. Be. You yeah. sure that the lady gets more. Yeah, That's definitely. almost a universal truth. That's indeed a universal truth, because you can be so into it that then, however, your body's not responding, that would be dramatic. And she's extra into it, thanks to the weed. This is a bad uh, moment in human history, so do not. More weed for her, less weed for you particularly cirrhosis, yes, talk about medicine, you know, it's like so many women have a hard time having orgasms, that weed can be your friend. 
we're not medical professional we cannot give medical advice but hey we leave it up to your experimentation in any case we're oh, and we are gigantic fans of the female orgasm we think each and every one of you ladies should be Indeed. finding an explorative way to get yourself off properly and often working up to 18 that's the goal and um the um, 19's an aneurysm right yeah that's just too much and that's it there are times i think like if uh, Exactly. If weed has that effect on female sexuality, on somebody who's already prone to having them and you can start having, so your partner should be probably well-trained, you know, review his CPR course. So just in case, you know, if he gets so damn good that need a resuscitation, that may be useful. Because they can get in them cycles, man, when they're popping yeah. off, bang, so bang, bang, then it's getting dangerous. But uh, I guess this is, again, I was thinking, we're, we lost track of the religious use of marijuana. No, I think this is as the, the same, aren't they? religious. Well, when, yes. do, when, does, when, when does somebody scream God more than then? Precisely. So I'm all in favor. And the last but not least, of course, in the religious example, the Rastafarians, clearly. Yeah, man. And uh, Mr. Snoop Lion can tell you all about it. One love. But no. <laughs> Let's it's, get together and smoke a joint. That's, um, I, I, I was fooled. I thought Bob Marley was in the studio. I get that a lot. I, I figure. So that was for that. But again, this is just a brief survey because there's so much about marijuana and the religion that it's nuts. But um, somebody with a very similar name as our previous one. In this case, we had Christine. Now we have Christina two women in a row with other similar names. Uh, Christina's question is in regards about sort of the balance between being driven where you push yourself to get some stuff done and being accepting of the way things are and not burning out. And it is a good, you know, it is about balance really because it's not like one thing is good and one thing is bad. It's really about who you are to a large degree. You know, on one end, there's something great about being genuine, being okay with who you are, being... Uh, uh, at the same time, there's something about becoming too much the other way, where you turn into a lazy bastard who make excuses for oneself. And if you are, by nature, a little too willing to pat yourself on the back and being too soft, and it may be a good idea to put a lot more emphasis on discipline, work, willpower, getting stuff done. But by the same token, if you are the person who's all about discipline, willpower, getting stuff tough, being driven, being this, it's like you're going to burn out. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. Maybe your emphasis should be more about patting yourself on the back, acknowledging how well you've already done something. It's like, ah, you just sit back and enjoy the good you have done rather than constant go, 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 go. You're talking about that fellow that doesn't just burn the candle at both ends, but he's got two fires in the middle as well. Exactly. So there's something, it's like anything, right? It's like the best idea, if you take it too far, is not such a good idea anymore. Same with this, it's a very delicate balance to how much to be on the discipline work, push yourself, and how much is about relax, accept who you are, accept how things are, without constantly wanting to, but if I work at it, I can change this. If I do this, it's like, just breathe, relax a little. That to me is, it's key. Understanding that, and a lot of it is understanding who you are, because depending on who you are, where you put the emphasis is going to change. It's not that the message is right or wrong in that scenario. It really depends on what kind of person you are by nature. If you are too driven, you need to slow down. And if you are too, uh, you slow down too often, you need to be more driven. Key, 
sounds simple when you say it, it's a lot easier to put it in practice, but that's what it boils down to. Ravi, Ravi asks us about Jesus and wealth. Um, if I can explain a little bit about Jesus' take on wealth. Yeah, this is one of the things that there's a lot of examples on these in creation or religion. There's a whole chapter about wealth that begins with Janis Joplin, immortal quote. Oh Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amen. I was fooled. I thought that Janis Joplin was in the studio. I'm, 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 wait, there'll be more. Correct. Oh, I'm so glad. The, um, so, yeah, there's a whole chapter on creating religions. If you want to check that out there, I probably explain it in a lot more details. But to give you the quick version, it's interesting how that's one of the most skipped over part of the New Testament are all the passages in which Jesus is discussing wealth because they just don't square with the uh, economy based on money, 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 I want wealth, I want to acquire, I want more, I want all of that. Because over and over again, there are Jesus quotes that hammer against accumulation of wealth. The most famous of all and the coolest of all, even just in terms of poetic language, there's these words attributed to Jesus that say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Which I always say, it because it's funny, but it's also true, is like literally Karl Marx would blush at this. It's so <laughs> radical as a thing to say. It's easier for a camel to get through eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Basically saying rich people are screwed because, wow. That's pretty intense in terms of uh, his view of social classes and wealth and all of that. There was this one very rich disciple who said, I want to follow you. I want to become one of your disciples. And at one point, Jesus flat out tells him, sure. Okay, so step one, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Then follow me, which is at that point where the disciples say, you know what? I like you, but I don't like you that much. The Koch you know? brothers said that ain't that cool. No, of course. You know, they're, they're talking about doing their own rewrite of the Bible, the right. Sam Walton version. People do that all the time. There's a whole theology of uh, the prosperity gospel, of how uh, really God actually wants you to be successful. The problem with all of this stuff is just he's trying to turn, to completely rewrite the whole thing, because it's not subtle. It's not like one little reference that could be misunderstood. Over and over again, there's a passage in which Jesus is quoted as saying, you can serve two masters, God and wealth at the same time. You have to can only pick one. There's a whole emphasis about how you should be focusing on spiritual wealth rather than the material. There's a quote in which Jesus say, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And there's this whole emphasis about material stuff. It's meaningless because it's going to go anyway. In another quote, he say wo, which a word I never used, W-O-E. How the hell do you say it? Whoa. Yeah, not quite that one. Whoa. Woe to the rich, for you have received your consolation. Translation, you're screwed. You already had the good times on earth, being having lots of money. Tough luck for your future. In another passage, he advises his disciples not to make plans about things like food and shelter, even something as basic as that, because God will take care of everything. You See, know? that's why they didn't need to put that weed in that, that grave. <laughs> exactly, because they will be planning for the future. You know, there's the whole passage is part of the um, Sermon on the Mount about, you know, look at the birds and the flowers and, uh, you know, how... 
they can take care of themselves without having any thought for the future and everything works out which is the most anti-capitalist thing in the world because it's against planning and working and scheming to make sure to make money to provide for things and i'm not saying by the way that jesus is right and capitalism is bad i'm just saying they don't mix you know pick one because they don't really go together even like even many early christians were against private property there's a charming story told in the bible about a couple a man and a woman who did not give everything to the Christian community as everybody that was part of the community was to put all their property in common and the church would handle it and you have your part, you know, you can live on something, but nothing belongs to you anymore. It's part of this small Christian community. That always ends up with somebody else fucking your wife. <laughs> it could work that well. In some cases it did, but not indeed. This one is purely about material stuff or money. And what happens is that these guys are sold, but not so sold. So they lie about how much money they made by selling something. And they give a part to the Christian community, but they keep a part. And you got it. They are promptly smited by God for their action. So are you kidding me? Really? God kills them. Why? Because they don't put all their property in common and they hold on to private property. And speaking of privacy, none. None. There you are. Think you got? We pulled one off. We kept seventeen percent for ourselves. We can go out and get some nope. fucking red lobster next week, and no one will know why. To. Boom! Exactly. I need a I need a sound for the finger of God. Sure. You should get it because it's everywhere. It's wild, man, and it's uh, it's interesting because again, later the crazy efforts done to combine Christianity and. Um, to make sure that Christianity can go hand in hand with accumulation of wealth. You know, the idea, you know, Christian theology for centuries will just try to push the camel's ass to try to make sure it squeezes through the eye of a needle one way or another because they don't want to give up on the accumulation of wealth, but they want to be Christian at the same time, which really doesn't work. It really makes you wonder how a, a mega church gets started up. Yeah, and I mean, the whole, seriously, the whole thing is many slippery this to me is exhibit a in the idea that people make up their own theology as they go and they make up their own religion even when they say that they follow one they don't you're making up your stuff as you go and which is fine but be honest about it because in this case usually what they do is attach themselves to one parable a single one in which jesus may seem like he's saying something speaking metaphorically by the way that may be approving of accumulation of wealth focus on the one ignore the other 12 that clearly state the opposite focus on all the biblical passages not spoken by jesus that are okay with private property and accumulation of wealth and yeah it's a perfect christian thing to do Ding. and he's like yeah. shh, shh, shh. you know if you tell me i like jesus i just disagree with it so i'm not gonna follow him about it that's honest i respect that if you tell me I'm a faithful follower, I'd follow the Bible, da da da, and then you do that, then you're just a hypocrite. You know, it's like, because it doesn't. I like to help the church, but, you know, once you've driven an S class Mercedes, yeah, I think you realize that you're meant to drive that machine. I saw the most awesome thing the other day is on the Anthony Bourdain show, and it was the Sikhs in India. Uh-huh. Now, these cats, they have this golden temple, which looks, you know, it is their Vatican, but it's pretty humble. It's right. definitely a golden temple in the middle of a big thing of water and, and a million lights lighted up at night. But these son of a bitches have been feeding 100,000 people 
Anybody who comes, doesn't matter of what your faith, who you are, if you're hungry and you want to eat, you wash your feet, you cover your head, and you can come and you can eat until you are full. And they've been doing this for 300 years, every fucking day. Especially about us. That's putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. So, to the mega churches out there, I challenge you. How about just healthcare? If you don't want to feed everybody, let's make sure all the children have the shots they needed, if you're down with that and don't want the fucking measles to take over the world again. You know, something. Put your money where your mouth is. Sit in there with your, with your 20,000 seat arena. Yeah, it does not scream uh, no accumulation of wealth. No. That's not exactly what's going on here. Blankets so. on the streets to the poor in the winter? That would sure be an awesome showing. Yeah, exactly. These things aren't hard to come up with. Anyway, brought to you by Gigantic Camel Size Needle Eyes. Yes. Now, a few people that I... I'm sorry I'm ignoring you guys for too long, but just to let you know, I will get to your question. Ben Burgess, I will keep you for probably the next episode. Uh, what else do we have? We have Matt Craft. next episode. Uh, somebody with a name I missed, but the email handle was Zen Samurai, which is pretty cool. Uh, next episode. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. So I'll keep you guys for the next time. But let's wrap this one up today and let's go to something else. Zip! It's story time, brought to you by our friends at Sure Design, with a brand new incredible Maui Wowie t-shirt collection of awesome marijuana strains available in the next couple of weeks. Check it out. It's already on the internet. They look awesome. The White Widow is awesome. Uh, I'm hoping my Maui Wowie won't be here because, you know, that's Hawaiian just like me. Anyway, story time. <laughs> so, uh, now that we can get our little one to sleep with a, a nice, calm, happy story about loving neighbors and and no genocides and right almost there are two short stories today i split it in two one of them will be a sweet story no actually the other one eh. well let's start with the eh, the not so much okay i'm ready we go to the roman times during the reign of emperor septimius severus 193 to 211 common era roughly one guy who's one in a long tradition of italian outlaws this guy by the name of Bulla, he had about 600 men that he used to stage bandit raids for over two years all over the place. It's impossible to catch. Um, they say that, you know, a bunch of people chased him all over. He, the emperor had sent his best guys to track him down. And they just, the quote about him, I'm going to primary sources, they say that Bulla was never seen when seen, never found when found, never caught when caught meaning he always had informers that would keep him just one step ahead of all the traps that they lay for him. They look like they catch him, they didn't, all of this stuff. You know, These guys are so say. In some cases, he was nuts, right? He was just like all out, like a couple of his guys were, had been captured and they were about to be thrown to the lions. So he walked up to the jail dressed as an official after having stolen all the proper clothing and stuff. <laughs> goes up to the jail and he's like request the two prisoners for transfer and he's so authoritative and played the part so well that they just open the jail and hand them to him so you know there's that in uh, in another case he acted as an informer against himself he went to give information about where you can find him promising this one centurion to that you know I'll, I'll help you get him if you follow me and stuff 
he led him into a gorge, into a forest, and then captured a centurion. And then, you know, he set up a tribunal and putting him uh, on trial and all of it. And uh, he eventually what he would do is, yeah, the centurion didn't fare so well. He got his head chopped off and Bulla put his head. Uh, he placed it before him on a fairly regular basis. And he would, as part of his verdicts against the Romans, he would capture, he would always say, tell your slave masters that they should feed their slaves enough so that they don't turn to a life of banditry. So he was acting as a social commentary, I guess. He's a 99%er, y'all. Yeah. And uh, most of his men, in fact, were slaves. Many of them were the emperor's slaves who had fled and gone to bull. So, yeah, the emperor didn't like him so much. His downfall, because, you know, generally speaking, outlaw careers usually lead to you can play the game long enough and that makes you a god and a legend, but eventually... Things tend to catch up. Live fast, die young. Unfortunately, that's what happens with Good Bull. He was having part of his problem is that he was having an affair with another man's wife. Uh Was he coming in her? Uh, This good was not so thrilled. The guy was not very happy that Bull was having sex with his wife. So when the Romans approached him, hearing that there may be something going there, he gave information to catch him. And, you know, they found him asleep in his cave. He was caught. And even at the trial, when it was pretty obvious what was going to happen, which we were going to throw him to the lion and have him eaten, when they asked him, you know, why did you become a bandit? He could make up a million sob stories, try to get, you know, maybe perhaps have one shot in a hundred of getting clemency or some stuff. His response to why did you become a bandit was looking at the Praetorian Perfect and say, why did you become Praetorian Perfect? Kind of like, I don't know, you're just like, you tell me about your career, I'll tell you about my career, you know, let's have an open exchange. They didn't find it humorous and they tossed him to the lions, but still, sad ending, but interesting process in all of this. It seemed like you had a pretty good time. Yeah, I tend to be fond of outlaw stories. I, um, I don't know, my seven-year-old self, I'm still stuck there. I just dig Robin Hood. I dig the, the noble outlaws are just... I dig them a lot. Now, there's not as many of them as one would hope, because again... But Tom Robbins says we have to have them to keep society moving. And some of them are there. You know, some of these examples do exist. They're pretty cool. But the other story is a more inspiring one, and in response to quite a few <coughs> lady listeners who brought up the need for having more... Romance? No, no, no. Not at all. Having inspiring female role models. Oh, You know, because absolutely. every other story, something that somebody brought up in a letter that made a lot of sense was like, anytime you get some cool, awesome stories from the past, as a woman, you can hardly ever picture yourself as the main character in the story. You always picture at best as the, guy, as the one who's having sex with the main character, which is nice, but it's not the same thing. So today's story, the heroine of our story is uh, a Cheyenne lady named uh, Buffalo Calf Road Woman from late 1800s. 1876, the U.S. Army is now on the warpath against, again, the Lakota and Cheyenne. Lakota and Cheyenne, just to give you guys a little background, in 1868, after four years of warfare, the U.S. Army decided, well, not the U.S. government, sorry, not the army, the government decided, we don't want to be in this war anymore. It's not going so well. So we're going to sign this treaty, the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty, and we'll guarantee you that you guys get to have this huge chunk of land that contains most of the Dakotas. You get to keep the Black Hills of South Dakota, your sacred lands. 
Everybody's happy. You left these lands as long as the grass shall grow and the river shall flow. And then way in the bottom, in a tiny little asterisk, it says, unless we find gold. That's exactly what happened. So I guess grass stopped growing and river stopped flowing about six years later, because by 1874, when gold was discovered, they say, well, screw that for Laramie Treaty. Sell us the land. They refuse. So the government decide, you know what? Screw it. We're tired of you wasting our time. We want the gold. Too bad. We're coming. Grant, even Ulysses Grant, who was president at the time, even says, it's too bad that we have to do this. You know, it's because of the greed of the American people. You guys are bad. And at the same time, he's like, well, but that's life. So too bad. Here is, you know, we're going to break the treaty and come after you. So by 1876, the campaign is full on to try to crack down on the last remaining groups of Lakota and Cheyenne who are still independent and fighting. Part of this campaign is what will lead to the Little Bighorn Battle in June 1876. But before we get, you know, this involves a group that was not in the same column as Custer. This was under um, General Crook, cool name, by the way, yeah, who was chasing the Lakota and Cheyenne and start catching up with them in Montana. By the way, as a piece of trivia, in General Crook company, there were some thousand men or so. Among the Teamsters handling uh, some of the support for the army, there was another badass woman in her own right, Calamity Jane, was part of this expedition. But she's not the subject of her story. Subject of her story, as we mentioned, is a Cheyenne lady who will um, show her value in battle. What happens is a thousand warriors from the Lakota and Cheyenne camp ride out, seeing that the soldiers are getting closer and closer to their camp. They decide, let's have a fight away from the camp. So they ride out through the night to meet them miles away to stop Crook's force. So there's roughly thousand on one side, thousand on the other. The soldiers also have a couple of hundreds of scouts from the Crow and Shoshone tribes who are rival with Lakota and Cheyenne. So they have what in US history they refer to as the Battle of the Rosebud in June 1876, the, um, the Cheyenne are going to have a cooler name for it, which comes from one event that happens in the middle of this fighting. At one point, as the warriors are retreating in this back and forth in the fight, as the Cheyenne and Lakota warriors are retreating, one guy got left behind. It was this one Cheyenne leader who had been wounded, lost his horse, was behind, and now soldiers and Crow and Shoshone were coming his way, and things were not looking bright for him. So he looks like he's done, because by now he's like, oh shit, we left the guy behind, we have to turn around, it's kind of too late, these guys are coming. Darting from the Lakota and Cheyenne line, somebody on a horse just take off at full top-notch speed, get there with bullets flying, scoop up this guy, put him back on the horse and ride back. This was the guy's sister, uh, Buffalo Calf Road woman, who just single-handedly rescued him in that way and the Cheyenne hails her as a hero you know courage of just diving under bullets to save her brother so the name of the battle in Cheyenne language will be translated as the fight where the girl saved her brother which seems quite appropriate and you know her action inspired others to fight even harder the um the battle was relatively even but by the end of the day, Crook turns around and end up not joining with all the groups of soldiers who are going to try to close in a few weeks later at the Little Bighorn. So in some ways, a big Lakota and Cheyenne victory because they stopped a big contingent Support of soldiers. Exactly. So that they only will have to deal another one. 
And even at the battle, Buffalo Cafro, the woman, she fights along with her husband. I have to tell the names because they are too cool, right? So her husband's name was Black Coyote. That's a name. How happy does he happy that that was it, man? You could have been some shitty things, you know, bent cornstalk or something. Nope. Black Coyote? That's a, somebody at a party tells you, you say, what's your name? I'm Black Coyote. Bullshit. I'm going to remember that name. But you know, it's like... Oh, you gave somebody, that to yourself. But if somebody... That's fine, but at least I'll remember it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if somebody tells me my name is David, my name is Daniele, my name is like... It's gone it before they shit. even finish saying like, it. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, so, well, um, and, and the name of the battle was so amazing. I mean, what, we should rearrange history around that. And just what's it called? Uh, that was the time the Germans got their ass kicked after four years of fucking with Europe. You learn something. It's a better name yeah. instead of just counting shit off. That would be great. You got that. You're gonna remember Rosebud. Fuck it was. We had roses at that other battle too, didn't we? Well, yeah. The fight where the girls have their brother. That's as a name. And or if it happens again, again. Right. And apparently the story is that <laughs> at the Little Begorn, Cheyenne Oral History credits Buffalo Cafro, the woman, for being the one who struck the blow that dropped Caster from his horse before he got killed, but she was the one who brought him down. Now, legend or not, who the hell cares? It's too cool of a story. And uh, the story of this gutsy, brave, tough woman is just awesome. I love it. So this is a good story where she doesn't have to pay in some horrible way. No terrible things happen as a result of it. No, she's the center of the story. And uh, I love it. I'm all for the strong ladies. Power to the ladies. Indeed. Wallflowers can be damned. I want somebody who wants to tussle a little bit. Arya Stark all the way. There you go. Well, the funky music only means one thing. We've reached the end of another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist, and I'm in the mood to, go, mood to go join a moon tribe right now. I don't know what it is. Somebody's talking about desert raves, so whoever's up on that, please drop me an email. That sounds like a fun way to spend the summer. Indeed. And uh, what else do we need to throw out there? Let's throw out there Amazon link. Thank you guys for using it. Tell your friends, tell your grandma, tell your goldfish, anything that on an Amazon account, please get them to buy their merchandise through the Amazon thing. If you have stuff in your cart, even if you click on our link and then you go through your cart and buy that, Amazon will not give us credit. They will only give us credit if you click our Amazon link, the Amazon link pops up, you search something and you buy it right then and there. That's how it works. And a lot of you guys are doing it and we thank you very much for it. Uh, our affiliates... Coracao chocolate, audible.com. If you are in the mood for fancy chocolate and or audiobooks, please check the episode notes for the links that give us credit. And if you are in the market for these things, you can get discounts. In the case of Audible, you get the first month free. And with Coracao, you get a little discount. Um, other things, Daisy House Music, as usual, thank you very much for the soundtrack. Uh, my mom's Dakota Warrior book, it's out on Amazon, so if you guys want to check it out. And uh, let me throw, shall we screw up some people's last names? Absolutely. Let the pottering begin. Donations. Let's try a few in this one. 
uh, Desmond Colton, who's our recurrent donor, he's uh, set up a monthly thing, which is the sweetest thing in the universe. I can't believe you're doing that. Thank you very much. We have Ricardo Cotto, Matt Bailey, Adam Burley, Aaron McLaughlin, another guy who set up a recurrent monthly donation. Very sweet. Thank you, Aaron. Amos Kingfisher, Cameron Clinton, Mike Holloway, Spencer Hannam, Jaime Gomez, Jaime, Jaime, sorry man if I'm screwing up, um, Derek George, Sean Quinn, Anthony Torres. Those are the guys that donated this month and we thank you so much for doing so. Hey, quick mention to thank everybody who's gone to kiva.org, K-I-V-A.org. Um, the drunk, Team Drunken Taos is almost at $7,000 in loans put out to the world, and the loans are now available in the United States as well. So you have a grumpy uncle that's like, you're just helping all those commies. No, you can help people here in the United States if you want to. So please get online, check it out. It's a... Uh, Tiny microloans to help folks get a cow, buy a water pump, all sorts of things that just help folks out, and they pay you back directly instead of some evil banker bastard. So hop on in, man. A lot of your fellow listeners have been a part of it, and those of you who have already joined in, get your friends to join in as well, because it really is a great way to help some folks out. Love it. You guys, be good humans. Have a wonderful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> This was great. It's fucking awesome. Get back to work.